I've got a quite an interesting sermon, I think interesting sermon, on a well-worn text that I'd love to share with us today. Maybe just a kind of a testimony to kick this thing off right at the beginning. You know, I've, it's between Christmas and, and New Year, and... Lord, thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for the sacrifice that you make for us, Lord, all the time. Lord, thank you for the... Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this opportunity to worship. Our hearts are open to you, Lord, as you speak to us. We love you. Want to follow you. Lord, with all that is inside of us, Lord, we want to echo with saints and angels and everyone that we love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Alrighty, guys. So this last week as I've been preparing this sermon, um, I must be honest, I haven't been the most motivated. I think between Christmas and New Year, we all feel like we want to just chill a little bit. And um, But I've been kind of just going through my devotional little bit by little bit and saying, Lord, I don't really have a big plan as to what I want to preach on the first. I don't want to try and preach one of these, you know, be all you can be, you know, what 2020 was the year of plenty, and we all saw how that turned out. So I don't want to be a false prophet, but I do want to, um, I want to preach something that I have conviction around. Lord, I pray that you'll show me. And while I've been reading through my devotional this week, I got to the parable of the sower. And this is a fairly well-known parable for those who've been walking with God for a long time. If you're new to the faith, don't worry, I'll read it to us in a second. But it's quite a famous text. And the reason it really struck me was because I think, before I read it, we live in a world that is full of expectations that are made of us. And a lot of them are completely unrealistic. You'll see how I tie this back in again in a moment. We put huge expectations on ourselves. I think those who know us and love us also in our families and perhaps in our workplaces, put expectations on, on us. And also society puts this incredible expectation on us to um, be a certain way, to fit in. There's a whole bunch of social norms. And so we feel this pressure of all these expectations around us. And there's this kind of catchphrase which is um, developed uh, that I hear more and more when I'm spending time doing counseling with people or just um, not only hearing it, but also seeing it at work in people's lives. And it's this thing called imposter syndrome. Talk to fathers and they say things like, how, does a how is a father supposed to act? Talk to moms and they're like, how does a mother act? Talk to um, young people who are kind of growing up and sometimes even people who are well into their adulthood. And they're like, how do I do this adult thing? How do I adult, right? How do adults act? And then probably most tragically, I talk to people and they, they say stuff like, so how is a Christian supposed to act? And the, the thing is, we can look at God just like society, just like people around us and see him as someone who puts all these expectations on us to act a certain way. You see, the tragedy about, the, about imposter syndrome is that how is a dad supposed to act? Well, you are a dad. So... Yes, there are things that, da that fathers should do that are good to do, but if you are always trying to play a role, 
there's going to be this disassociation between you and this person. You've got this imposter syndrome. I don't really feel like I'm worthy of being in this space. And so I feel like when I look at my family, I feel like I've, I can feel frustrated towards them. Perhaps I can feel irritated that I have to step in and out of this father role all the time with him or this mother role or this adult role. I, I don't want to be an adult anymore. I just want to be a kid and throw my hands up in the air, you know. When I was 18 years old or when I was 17 years old, just writing exams, and that was the sum total of all my life's problems. And instead of realizing that this is who I am and I'm growing into this thing, and, and it's so easy for us also to look at our faith in the same way and look at God as someone who places all these expectations on us. And so we're trying to play the role of being a Christian. And so we ask ourselves, well, what would a Christian do in this situation? What would a Christian do? Even that thing of what would Jesus do on our wrists is not inherently bad, but we aren't playing the role. God is transforming us into the image of his son, but it's something that he's doing in us. It's not something he's asking us to play as like a role in, a, in, a, um, in like a screenplay. It's unfortunate when we go too far down that road of playing the role of being a Christian, we can get to the place where Adam and Eve were, where they said, you know, we don't need God. We'll work out for ourselves what, what the knowledge of good and evil is. And they eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil because they themselves wanted to be able to do this outside of God. They wanted, to, because then once I've done what I need to do, I can go back and do what I want to do. But if I realize that being a Christian is not an act I put on, it's not something that I'm doing. It's rather something that God has made me. It's who I am. He's put that inside of me. Then God begins to work out his desires inside of me. See, friends, God does have expectations on us, but the way he works them out in us isn't this external thing that he throws at us as a bunch of expectations and says, I'll see you tomorrow. I hope you get it right. Or I'll see you in a week's time. I hope you fixed it up. I hope you've got it all together. And so this morning, I'd like to talk a little bit around this thing of when, as we go into the new year, as we go into 2023, how do I say stay sustained? How do I not live looking at God as someone who's just throwing a bunch of extra expectations onto me on top of everybody else? Because the thing about expectations are that even though um, I am responding to them, I feel like I'm giving in a, in, a, in a season where someone expects something of me, I have to give in that season. And it's so easy for us to look at God as someone who wants to take from us all the time. In the book of Job, though, Job says this in Job chapter 1, verse 21. He says, it's 121, and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I'd like to challenge a little bit today this concept of God putting these expectations on us, or God wanting to take from us. When we look at scripture, it paints a, paints a picture that God both gives and he takes away. There are times when God expects of us, but there's also times where God wants to pour in and he wants to give to us. Our world is so wired, though, for us to ask, what is expected of me? What's being, what's, what are they wanting to take from me? You know, the end of the month or the beginning of the month, and all the debit orders come off. It's what's being taken from me? I go to the shop and I get to the till. What's being taken from me? You know, when I'm in a social setting and I have to act a certain way. What's been taken from me? What are people's expectations? What are people's perceptions? And I live in that world all the time. And the thought of a God who would come and give to me and pour into me and be lavish with me this way 
is incredibly difficult, I think, for us sometimes to fathom or comprehend because our picture of him so often is a God who has these high expectations. Anyway, I'm looping a little bit, but let's read the parable of the sower from Matthew chapter 13. Jesus is talking. It says that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they were withered because they had no root. Other seed fell amongst the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred 60 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. And then down in verse 18, Jesus of Matthew chapter 13, Jesus explains what this parable means. He says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling amongst the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and make it unfruitful. But the seed falling, falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. And here's this thing, friends, of this God who is so generous or so lavish with us. Not a God who just has expectations of us, but a God who also wants to sow. When I look at the sower, like I, the first time when I heard this when I was a kid, I was like, this guy's like the worst farmer that ever existed. He throws seed everywhere. Like, why did he throw the seed on the path? He knew it wouldn't work, right? And like, if he was a good sower, he would have worked the soil, so he would have known there were rocks over there, or there would have been weeds in here, like he didn't weed the patch properly or whatever. But he just recklessly walks around, sowing seed without thought given to where the seed lands. And it's good seed. It's not like he's throwing, like, he's got, like, two pouches. You know, there's, like, the you know, average seed on the path. We'll see what happens or there. And then he throws, but, and then on the good soil, he throws the best seed. He throws the best seed everywhere. It's good seed. He's just throwing it lavishly wherever because he knows how good that seed is. It's like Jesus at the wedding of Cana, and the first miracle Jesus ever performed. It's when Jesus turns the water into wine, he turns it into not just any wine, but the best wine. So much so that the guy, the master of ceremonies, whoever he was, is like, Flip, where, where did you hide this stuff? Like, this is amazing wine. Where did you get it from? And this is, this is the way God is towards us, friends. His heart is lavish towards us, to pour into us. His heart is big to be able to equip us and give us everything we need for life ahead of us. And so I'd like to ask the question today. Right, in a world so full of expectation, in a world so full of imposter syndrome and trying to play a role and worried about what everybody thinks and what should I give and when should I give and how should I give, how is our receiving? Because, friends, I believe that our receiving from God, right, is the key or a key to us being able to live a fruitful life. That's exactly what this text is telling us. That if I want to get to the end of 2023 and say, I walked in with 
this amount, but I've walked out the back end of the year with a hundredfold, or maybe, maybe not a hundredfold, maybe 60-fold or 30-fold, all the different things it says here. If I want to get to the end of the year and have that much, the, it's not going to be dependent on my giving. It's going to be dependent on my receiving because God wants to put in good soil. So I'd like to hold this in a basket for us if I could. Up front. I'm going to put this in a little basket, and there's a thought up front, and then I'm going to talk about receiving and the link between giving and receiving, right? Giving where I respond to the expectations of God. I'll talk about what that means in a moment. So in James chapter 4, James is writing Jesus' brother, and he says, but he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So all of this, friends, is in the picture. And I could have, I guess, preached the sermon about humility. I could have really couched it in humility. But I think humility is the basket in which this thought that I'm wanting to ask us today rests is, how is our receiving? See, unless I'm a humble person, I'm neither able to give nor receive. Pride is incredibly difficult because what it does is it puts up the walls and doesn't allow anything to go out beyond those walls and doesn't allow anything to come in through those walls. Right? It becomes pride when I'm arrogant and proud. I become this sort of little isolated outpost that says I've got everything I need. Right? Everything that I need is inside here and it's fine. I don't need anybody. I'm good enough. I'm better than all these sort of things. Um, it takes a humble man who can have God give to them and take away from them. You know, there's a... Um, I, Parks and Recreation, I don't know if any of you guys have watched it. But there's a scene in Parks and Recreation, which I really love. There's a guy called Ron Swanson. And Ron Swanson is like the super handiest man in the whole world. Like he can do all the handyman stuff. He's a manly man. You know, he like eats steak and he, he does woodwork and he's like that kind of guy. You know, a real manly man. And so he's walking, pushing a trolley through the um, hardware store, like Builder's Warehouse or whatever. And this guy comes up to him and says to him, Sir, do you need any help? And Ron Swanson just looks at him and says, I know more than you. And the guy's just like withers, just kind of walks up and Ron just keeps pushing it. And friends, that's the thing. When it comes to, when God comes to us and he says, I want to change this thing in your life. So we're talking now about God coming to take away from us, where he wants to adjust us or bring change to us. When his expectation is that we should be, live our lives differently. He comes and says, that issue in your life there, I no longer want that there. That there is not in the image of Jesus, who I'm making you into, that is in the image of man, that's your fallenness, that's and I want to come and work on this thing. We look at God, in our, we're pushing our trolley, and we look at him, and we go, I know more than you. I know more than you. Like, I think this is fine. My life is all good, thank you very much. And we just keep pushing our trolley and kind of walk past God. It takes humility to be able to stop and go, well, I hadn't realized that. I can't see that, but Lord, you're going to confront me with this truth. Okay, I don't even know sometimes how I'm going to let this thing go. Maybe it's become so part of my life. It can be fear or loneliness or whatever the thing is that I'm struggling with. And God comes and he confronts that thing in my life. And it's hard. And I'm, 
And instead of putting up a wall, humility says, Lord, do what you need to do in me. Bring the change. So that's humility when it comes to God taking away from us. But what about humility when God wants to give to us? And this isn't, this is, it's quite a controversial sort of thing because I think we all like the idea of receiving, right? Christmas time. Yet have, I've yet to have anybody who sits and goes, no presents, please, really. I'm all good. Like we love receiving things. But when God comes to give to us, friends, um, it's amazing how often our response is not humble and we don't want what, want what he comes to offer us. He comes and he says, here is life. And we go, it's fine, Lord, I've actually already got a life, thank you. Like I'm already living my life the way I want to live my life. It's all good, thank you. And he goes, well, here's love. We go, well, it's actually fine. I'm already loved and I'm adored by my peers or looked up to by the people at my work. I'm all fine, thank you. Like I think I know better. You know, I'm doing the Ron Swanson thing even on the, on the receiving end of things. Like what about here is forgiveness? And God comes and he says, here is forgiveness. And I, I don't need forgiveness. Because what we do today in society is we just move the markers. So if it's sin, what we do is just make, move the markers so that it's no longer sin. You know, it's not pride anymore. It's self-determination. You know, it's not arrogance. It's confidence. You know, it's not theft. It's just working the system. And so we move the markers. And when God comes to offer us true forgiveness, when he comes to offer us true life, when he comes to offer us um, true love, we look at the little broken toys that we have, but because we're proud and we don't want to look weak, we go, I've already got it. Thank you very much. God goes, here is provision for you. And I, you know, Lord, I got this. I'll make a plan myself. I've, I've got this under control. Thank you very much. And so, friends, all of these, both giving and taking, or giving and God's giving to us and, and asking from us, require humility. And so I'd like to talk to us just quickly about this thing of, how do we receive from this lavish God? And how does it link to when he does ask us for things? Because God is so incredibly different. Like I said to us just now, God doesn't uh, ask us or make expectations of us and then just stand back at a distance and go, let's see if you can pull it off. Now, what he does is he's actively involved in the process. I'll explain to you what I mean. See, here's my thoughts. I've got one, two, two thoughts, and then we're going to land around this. So pruning and or removal, God taking from us, right, is key to ensuring that the sowing is fruitful in us. And so there is the cycle of God giving and taking away in our life that ensures that there is always life. And if one of those two stops, we get stuck. I'll explain to us what we mean by that, but I want you to just think about that cycle for a moment. God comes to us to take away, right, so that he can give to us. And as he gives to us, what he gives to us displaces, right, what he's asking us for, so he takes it away. So he takes the bad, he takes away what is unhelpful, he takes away sometimes stuff that we think is helpful, we think is good. But he comes to take it away. Why? So that he can replace it with what is good for his glory's sake. And there's this constant cycle. He pours in so that he can pour out. He expects of so that he can grow us and mature us, right? He makes us go a little bit faster so that we can achieve a little bit more. He works on us so that we can become more like Christ, this in and out the whole time. Because 
The primary role is he wants us to become like Christ so that we are able to be a testimony to others. And the danger is if we get stuck, and this is what can happen, if I'm only ever looking at God as someone who takes from me, and I've forgotten how to receive, I can start to see him as a stingy, angry God who's just got this ridiculous standard for me the whole time. Because I've forgotten that it's in my receiving that I'm able to give. Freely if you received, freely give. That's what God says to us. It's in my receiving that I can give, and in my giving, right, that I can, in my giving that I can receive. It's the cycle that happens inside. So if I get stuck, I'm no longer receiving from God, right? I begin to change my view on who He is. And if I'm only ever receiving and never giving, the Christian walk becomes meaningless, and I stop maturing as well because I look around and I'm like, there's no change in my life. Right? Everything looks the same. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. It's interesting that the sower didn't discriminate between the different types of soil. He threw the same seed. But after the fact, when Jesus is commenting on it, he does talk about the different types of soil. And so I'd like to talk just quickly about these three, there's four different types, but I'd like to talk about the three unfruitful types of soil and what they are in our lives and why God wants to take from them so that the seed can take root. Like he can throw his seed and God does it all the time and he's so generous like that. But unless something happens there, unless there is a change, unless there is some sort of taking away in that area, the seed that he is giving doesn't find fruit. So the first type of um, path that he spoke about or the first um, type of soil was the path itself. And the path speaks about the everyday. You know the humdrum, the logical, the practical, the human, the same old, same old. It's the part of my life that I autopilot. I don't know if you ever find yourself driving in the car and you get somewhere and you don't even remember the facts, you don't remember the robots, you don't remember the accelerator, you don't remember anything, you're daydreaming but you got from A to B. That autopilot mode, a little bit like that. There are parts of our lives which are just so autopilot. I'm not expecting God in those areas. I'm, I've got it all down pat, it's fine, whatever, this relationship or this area of my life, it could be my finances, it could be my relationships, it could be my thought life, it could be whatever it is, it, they are, our lives are so complex. But the areas of my life where it's just become so trodden and so well known and so predictable, so boring, no life, just A to B and that's what I do. And what God wants to do is he wants to come in and go, he wants to ride this like TLB. I don't know if you know what a TLB is. It's a tractor loader backup. My dad's a civil engineer, and we got to drive them when we were kids. They're amazing. But basically, it's this like machine that's got a big tipper thing on, or a big um, bucket thing with teeth on the front. On the back, it's got this little arm like a um, back actor, and it can tear out bits of ground like this. And God sends his TLB right through the paths of our life, the things that are predictable, and the same old where we don't, we've decided, I don't even need God's help here. I just know what's going to happen all the time, and it's predictable. And what happens is these areas of our lives that are just predictable and boring and the same old, all of a sudden, there's this fresh smell right, of freshly turned soil, and it's all like broken up and cracked, and there's earthworms, and there's bugs, and nunus, and all this stuff running through it, and when I look, I'm like, oh my word, this is so scary, because where's the path, and so, and God's like, I want to lead you through this, I want this area that's been so predictable and the same to have fresh life, but can you see, friends, God doesn't come to take away just to make us, like, confused, he goes, now what I can do is throw seed in here. You're going to find things that you never dreamed that could be alive, to have life and life to the full. Or areas in your life that you didn't think could be fruitful, 
that you just thought, oh, well, that's just another area of my life, the so what area of my life. God wants to come and make it incredible and wants there to be this fruitfulness in it, the path. We get so used to trudging the same predictable way, and God just tears through it and just rips up the ground. The second one that he speaks about is the shallow soil, where there's all these kind of rocks below the surface, and, and the sun comes up and just kills it. And for me, that's, that's the areas of my life where when God's truth comes in, right, it can go to a certain area, but I've got my own belief system, thank you, God, very much. Like, I know what I think about these things. I've thought about it. Or someone else taught me about it. Or I'm just too lazy to think about it. And so what? It's not that important. And so there is only a very little thin layer of soil available for God's word to actually catch in. Because I'm not prepared to take it in and allow the rocks in my life where God comes in and pulls those rocks out. And the reason he pulls the rock out is to create more space for that seed to go deeper. And I think God's response would be much like Mary's response. It's just been Christmas. When the angel says, you're going to give birth to a child, and she's like, I'm a virgin, and it's highly confusing. Like, it's, it's just, it's not logical in any way. This is not normal. But Mary says to the angel, let it be to me according to God's word. And friends, I think that's the response God's looking for us when it comes to these things. When he speaks to us, Lord, let it be to me according to your word. But it's the yes, but response that we have with God's word sometimes. That there's just no fruitfulness there. And so God wants to come in again with the big TLB and rip up those rocks. And it's so hard sometimes because, but this is what I've always been taught. I was taught that person there is always like this. Or I was taught that I should always see this group of people like that. Or I was taught that when I think about money, when I think about social standing, when I think about my job, when I think about parenting, when I think about my relationship with God, like this is what I've always been taught, so this is what I always believe. And God comes in with his word and he goes, and he sows good seed. And now all of a sudden I've got a choice. I can entertain the seed for a little bit, but as soon as the roots get down to where the rocks are of what I believe, and it's different, Am I going to allow those rocks to be displaced by this truth? Or am I going to just let the seed die? God wants to come and he wants to take away so that he can give. And then the third one talks about the weeds that grew up around the, um, around the plants that were sown. So it's good soil, but there's just weeds and other stuff in it. And Jesus says this is the cares of the world. And friends, this is one I think that we all struggle with because we all have different weeds in our lives. And God comes in, he wants to tear out a weed, but it's like we, we know that weed so well. We're so predictable, you know. We've smoked that weed before, <laughs> whatever. But like we just know that weed so well, right? And it's what we used to see in growing there. And when something else wants to grow there, it's uncomfortable for us. What does that mean? Fear. That in a particular area, the fear of being alone, it's a very, very real fear. And so what happens is God comes and he says, I will be your comforter. I will provide relationships for you. I will be the one who shows you the way. And it's just, it's the fear of being alone can be such that we just go looking for our own relationships. We just, whatever, we make a plan. And in making a plan, we get ourselves into all kinds of trouble. And the truth of God's promise just gets choked. Um, the fear of provision 
God says, my children won't beg bread. I want you to follow me. I want you to stay faithful. I want you to faithfully come to me every day. Just receive from me. Receive good seed from me. Spend time in my word. Spend time with me. Receive good seed. And as you receive good seed from me, right, I will take out the things, right, the fears and whatever, and I will be the one that's there for you. And so what happens is we're like, mm, Lord, I actually don't have time to spend time with you. I need to go out there and make it happen for myself. And I'm working so hard and I'm putting in so many hours. And the tragedy is that those weeds of fear grow up around the promise of God's provision. Stress. You know, just not being able to rest in our minds. Our minds is always going, 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 going. And, and all the stuff that goes on inside our heads. And God promises us peace if we go to his word. But just the commitment to just running on all cylinders and firing our adrenal glands on, you know, 24-7 just becomes the thing that grows up and chokes the peace of God. The need for recognition. And God says, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. You're my daughter and I love you. I'm well pleased with you. And I look at that and I'm like, hmm, but I don't spend enough time in God's word. So maybe one little seed lands of that. But I don't repeatedly go back and allow him just to keep throwing that seed into my life. And so what happens is I begin to crave other people's recognition. And I begin to crave the, the, um, the adulation and the adoration of others. And that grows up and chokes the, the beauty of the promise of God's word that speaks into our identity. Friends, our openness to God taking from us is directly linked to the value we place on his giving to us. You see, if we value the fact that God wants to sow into us, then we will we'll be like, Lord, rip up the path. Go for it. It'll be more space for the seed. When he comes to pull out the rocks, we're like, Lord, this will be amazing because now the roots can go deep and it won't just be a temporary thing. The thing will be able to last. And the weeds being weeded, Lord, I can see that all this other stuff, all these weeds, it's just counterfeit. It's a shadow and an empty promise of the real promise. Lord, rip out all those weeds so that the real fruit can be there. And so there is a direct link between the taking and the receiving of God. So how do we do this? Quickly and then I'm done. Friends, Jesus is constantly at work to sow good seed into our lives through the Holy Spirit. Friends, when we receive this good seed from God and we allow this good seed to land in our hearts and we value it, the cycle, this beautiful cycle of maturity begins where God comes and does all the stuff we've been talking about. In Romans 5.5, 5, Paul writes, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So friends, God wants to pour his love into us by the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is not some gaseous vapor. He's not this, he does the most incredible supernatural things. It's not just about falling over in meetings and people speaking in tongues. And yes, these incredible manifestations of the Holy Spirit. It's beautiful. Tongues and prophecy and all these things are incredibly good for the body and we need them. But first and foremost, the Holy Spirit comes to what? To mature us, right? He is the one Firstly, that we see here who sheds God's love abroad in our hearts. And so practically, what does that look like? Like on the ground. Friends, without the love of God, everything we do, Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, is hollow and meaningless. If you have not love, you've got nothing. We spoke about it in our Ecclesiastes series last year about having this meaningless life. And so friends, we cannot afford not to allow the Holy Spirit to come and fill us with the love of God. And 
uh, it's different for all of us how we do that. But I sometimes just take a moment, quiet moment, just sit in front of my Bible. I read a couple of scriptures. I'm just quiet. And my Holy Spirit, won't you fill me with the love of God now? For this person and for that person. Won't you come in and give me what I need because I feel like I'm lacking. Show me what needs to be taken out of my life so that there can be more love. Maybe that little love plant is this big at the moment. It's very small because maybe there's some rocks of unforgiveness in my life or whatever the thing is. And he comes and he displaces the thing, pulls out, and all of a sudden that root goes deeper. And Oh, the love of God. Lord, thank you for your love. So friends, real life, receiving from the Holy Spirit, allowing him to speak to us through God's word. Being responsive when he wants to come and tear up the path, when he wants to pull out the rocks, when he wants to weed out the weeds. And all the hollowness and meaninglessness goes out of our relationships. And all of a sudden, the people that I'm meeting in my workplace, I have a genuine godly love for them. Not in a weird soppy way, but a genuine love and a commitment and a care towards them. And to my family and to my church and to the people that God's put in my sphere around me, I'm full of the love of God now. Wow, life all of a sudden is full of meaning. Secondly, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says, When you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so not only does the Holy Spirit fill us with the love of God, but he also empowers us. And so what happens is he gives us gifts. And I find myself praying for somebody and all of a sudden, I've just got this sense about them. And I'm like, where did that come from? That's different. So I write it down and send them a text. Hey, listen, I was praying for you this morning and I felt this. And I was praying for you about that thing that I felt. Maybe I felt like you're struggling a little bit. Maybe I felt like you've got a big decision in front of you. Whatever the thing is. Oh, I just felt something for you. I, when I was praying for you, I felt God drop you into my heart. So I'm praying for you today. And there's this power. There's a supernatural enabling. And the person messages back, how did you know? And all of a sudden, God's beginning to use us and work through us with his power. Friends, we can't be this just empty, hollow um, social club that's just going through the motions. We are ineffective, and the mission of God will drain us to death if we are not empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we spoke about this last year during our One More Light series, where we spoke about that our testimonies, what God has done in our lives, is powerful to be able to help others. And, but friends, this is the thing. What God has done in your life, what he's done in my life, the question is, if he's done it in my life, could he do it in the life of somebody else? Well, I've seen him do it in my life, so I know we can do it in somebody else's life. And so when I see them struggling with the same thing, I can go to them and say, hey, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not trying to be Mr. Advice or Mr. Clever. But what I am saying is, I know that God can sort this thing out. Because I've seen him work in power in my life. And I know he can do the same thing in your life. That's so incredibly powerful and encouraging for others. So the Holy Spirit, firstly, sheds aboard the love of God in our hearts. Secondly, he gives us power. And then thirdly, John chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And this is the thing, the Holy Spirit is the one who comes to us, enables us to discern what is good seed and what is not good seed. And he speaks to us about this is the truth. These are the things that you can build your life on, right? 
Um, these are principles by which you can stand. And we spoke about this last year in our Nameless Preaching series where we spoke about each of these guys, each character was almost secondary to the truth that their life portrayed. It's incredible truth. When we look at Balaam's donkey, what is the price you are prepared to pay right, for your inheritance? It's like a bit, massive question when we look at Balaam's life and Balaam's donkey. And these incredible truths and principles that the Holy Spirit begins to stir up inside of us and he leads us into all truth. Friends, I wonder what a church would look like going into this year that has the truth of God spoken to them by the Holy Spirit through His Word, full of the love of God, looking to others and, and just overflowing with love this way because they are so full of the love of God. And God is taking away their prejudices and taking away our preferences and allowing us to forgive. We become deeper and more loving for others. And we are empowered by the Holy Spirit through the supernatural gifts to be able to prophesy and to be able to have discernment and words of knowledge. And we just begin to speak. How on earth do you stop a church like that? I think that's the church that Jesus dreams about. And friends, that's why there's this cycle of God gives and he takes away and he gives or he gives and he takes away. He gives and he takes away. There's this process of him working in us to will and to act according to his good purpose. Thank you so much for joining us. You might be asking yourself the question, how can I take this further? Firstly, you can send us your contact details to cindy at centerchurch.co.za where we can include you in our online connect groups and you can receive our daily devotional. Secondly, you can hop on our website where you can access previous sermons and find out more about who we are at Center Church. Thirdly, if you consider yourself as part of Centre Church, we want to thank you so much for your ongoing financial partnership. The banking details are on the website. Thank you so much for joining us and hope you have an amazing day.